0: Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22nd, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support.
1: Welcome to the Arts Hour here on MPB Think Radio, where we speak with artists who uh, are in our state and doing amazing work. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Brent Funderburg. Brent will be receiving the Governor's Arts Award for Excellence in Visual Arts and Education. He's a former professor at Mississippi State University. I wish I had taken him myself, but I didn't get the chance to. Thanks for being with us, Brent. How are you today?
0: Hey, I'm great. It's uh, one of those days where it could storm or be winter or spring or summer, and that's Mississippi.
1: I know somebody in the elevator today told me, you know, if you don't like any of the weather this week, there's not much left for you. It's <laughs> we're getting we're going to experience it all. It's like 65 degrees here in Jackson. It was blisteringly windy it was like two hours ago, and then I feel like we're going to get a freeze and it's going to dip down. I think y'all may get some snow, right?
0: Maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> Love being outside. It makes great art. It does
1: make great art. Well, as you just said, it makes great art. You're an artist yourself and a, and a professor. Uh, Brent, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
0: Okay. Well, I'm from North Carolina, but came to Mississippi in 1982. So I taught at Mississippi State after a couple of other jobs, uh, teaching jobs, until uh, 2018. So that's like 36 years at state. Where I taught painting, drawing, design, and uh, was also a department head for a good while.
1: That's really amazing. It's quite a quite a tenure. You know, when when I was there, I remember and, and Adam Tress and I've talked about this too. It you know the the reputation of your great courses pr- precedes yourself, and and I wish I had gotten in that class, but I did get to interview you for the Reflector. What's really neat about it is that the interview was almost exactly uh, 10 years to the date from the governor's arts awards, which is absolutely wild.
0: Tried to plan that so that, (laughs) you know, astonished how things strangely come together. And I'm just astonished all the time at at all that, but I'm glad, glad to meet you and know you, David, and we're in a different spot now, but it's like Franz Mark said, the bird dives into the water and goes through the water and comes up in a different place, and that's what yes. art is. It's a new place, and and you got to go down. You got to go down to get up. So,
1: well, tell me about growing up. You you grew up in North Carolina. I know you guys travel a lot back. You seem to get a lot of inspiration there. I know you also grew up with with a twin brother who is an architect, right? Has a design and art background. Talk a little bit about that space. You've, you've told me some about it, but let's share it with some with others too. Like, what was that experience like?
0: Well, I think it was pretty good. My my greatest generation parents left us alone as as twins in the playroom, and uh, and sure we play with things called toys, but we sort of made our own world. They would throw crayons at us and put tons of paper down, and we kind of made we made what was there. If we were outside, it was the sandbox, and so. Like Mike would take care of all the mechanical things—cars and trucks and houses—and I would take care of monsters, trees, and aliens. And we'd make <laughs> worlds. We would draw or make worlds. And it was no doubt about what we'd do eventually—that we would both head towards art and architecture.
1: Well, when you, when we were, when I was interviewing you, you told me that y'all you know, were synesthetic twins, right? Can you explain a little bit about what that is and how you kind of view the world in that regard?
0: Yeah, I I, I do think we're mildly, we're all mildly synesthetic, which is, which means that we cross senses and a lot of our interests and a lot of our abilities and disabilities. Some people are diagnosed as disabled, and yet they have um, savant abilities. And I'd say we're lightly drawn towards uh, shapes and colors. And often, for example, people can hear, uh, um, people can hear uh, colors or people can uh, find visions in listening to music, and so I see every letter in the alphabet as a color, and it's very specific, and it's always been that way. And I was really surprised when I talked to my my brother um, uh, re- not too long ago that he had the same thing, and then I found out that my, one of my sons has that. So, oh wow, cross sensory stuff, and you know, really, it's like you develop your senses so that they'll work together to make something, and some. And some work better than others. So for me, it was always visual.
1: Yeah, well, that I mean, I think that speaks to also the way that you work, right? I mean, it is very visual. It derives. I had a roommate who the same way he has. He sees letters as colors, and he would like. I'd be like, "What's my name?" And he would just spat off the colors. Right. I I see uh, months of the year and seasons in, in spatial order around me. Um, and so, but so I, I kind of, I think, like you said, we're all a little bit, maybe a little bit synesthetic. Um, but you know, what, what is it, you know, what is that relationship between you and your brother been and kind of the way that he's gone into the world of architecture and design, but you've, you've sort of been kind of right alongside that. I mean, the watercolor world and the way that, that that also often overlaps a lot with the world of design and architecture, I think, and and the influences therein.
0: I'll tell you the biggest difference when I when I learned to drive, <clears throat> it was really hard for me to to separate what was on the surface as a two dimensional reality in the window of the car, which is to say, I ran into stuff from <laughs> um, from you know through uh, true three dimensional illusion and or, or three three dimensional space. So for me, that spatial reasoning reflects that I take a 3D world, a multi-sensory world, and try to come back into a still image that is flat, but I want you to see a movie. I want it to exist in time. I want you to hear music. I want light to come through. I want you to see a reflection. I want you to go deep, deep, deep into it. And so for me, it's an illusion. I think architects, in a very opposite way, as you you would know, make things out of of things. They make, they make a 3 right. world that you can live in. Um, I'm taking a live-in world and making another world. It's a total great opposite thing.
1: Well, it, it, when you talk about that, it, it makes me think about the series that you've kind of done of which the the title, the showcase work for, for the Governor's Arts Awards comes from, the Blood Moon piece. We'll get to that in a second. But that's a part of the re series, right? And, and it talks about, what I love about your work is that it, Uh, has such a a vivid and it's both vivid and realistic as it is surreal and sort of layered. And you don't always expect that from watercolor. But I think what you're talking about in taking that lived in world and creating something else is very much evoked in the work that you do. Can you talk about that series and and what you did when you went outside and kind of saw what was happening in your yard?
0: Right, well, you know, often... I dream about going to exotic places and making art about iconic things, giant mountains and and surging waves and so forth. But we don't have that here in Mississippi. And uh, what happens is I do go outside and trip on maybe the first thing as a nearsighted person, a flower. And it ended up that every time I needed an image, I would come out and see something new blooming uh, in our yard or on a walk. And, And there's strange things you'd never expect. And all in all, these these glowing things that are alive, full of life, and no one really knows what that is, we can name it, um, that's what it's about. It's the small glimmering lights that are singing in the dark. So I'm trying to create this this darkness and the darkness of not believing, the uh, darkness of not trusting, of not knowing. And you, you walk a little bit, you go forward, you dig a little bit, and you find something glowing and shining there and singing there. So I try to keep that song kind of uh, illuminated in that darkness in the paintings. It's not all candy. Um, And that that glowing thing is what re-inflorescence is about.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. Well, you're, for those of us who, those who are just t- tuning in, you're listening to the Arts Hour here on MPB Think, Think Radio. i your host, David Lewis, here with Brent Funderberg who is going to be receiving the Governor's Arts Award here in February. Um, Brent, so we're talking about uh, a lot of the influences of your art, the the work that you've been doing. Um, talk about um, sort of the work that maybe you've been working on lately. What has been inspiring you lately in in the work that you've been doing?
0: Uh, You mentioned that I travel. I spend so much of my time here at home. I've I've painted every blade of grass and I think I've done everything that it grows back or freezes and then grows back. But uh, right now I've I've been in New Mexico quite a bit with my wife and family and I've been in North Carolina. So I'm thinking three mountains right now. Mm. one, one would be the mountain that I face from this little village we stay in in New Mexico, and I've drawn it 800 times. And so I have hundreds of drawings right now. And I've drawn a mountain that was an unnamed mountain. We rented a place for a good while. And I said, what is that mountain in front of that? She said, I'm not sure. I don't know what that is. It's great. The unnamed mountain. Then, and then the other one I'm still looking for, it's an inner mountain. So a lot of the work is, mm. uh, since Mississippi doesn't have a mountain, I'm going to make one.
1: Yes. So,
0: I have drawings of all of these things from observation, from my imagination, from dreams, and I'm calling them the three mountains. And let me t- let me say something about the three mountains. This is an old kind of Zen saying, and it goes like this. First, the mountain is just a mountain. Then, number two, a mountain is not a mountain at all. Yeah. And finally, number three, and then it's a mountain indeed. Yeah. So the artist travels through that I think I know and says, of course, like Walter Anderson says, we say, just assumes that everything's the way it is. And then it becomes, we see something we've never seen before. It's not what we thought. And if we continue to dig and go through, there's a new mountain that transcends Mm -hmm. all. It's truly what a mountain is. And it's a mountain indeed. So it's about that third mountain that I'm working on, work from three different places. And really, that third mountain is the mountain that lives inside my heart and here in Mississippi.
1: That's really special. What, what is it for you? You know, you've, you've spent 38 years here um, and you're still in Mississippi, you're rooted in Mississippi. What do you think it is that made this place so sort of compelling, but also magical and inspirational for you to be able to find so much continual inspiration from where you're at? Gosh,
0: David, Look at look at Mississippi's artists and writers and musicians, you know, uh, uh, Pop Staples and Marty Stewart and uh, and Howlin Wolf and Walter Anderson and Eudora Welty and Wyatt Waters. And, you know, you look at all of the writers, Faulkner and Jimmy Rogers and, and I could keep naming them. Why were they so great? It, they, they, they didn't have this iconicity of landscape. They didn't have all of these higher institutions. Mm-hmm. They didn't have all of these resources that were so promising to confirm that they would be successful. They just did it anyway. They listened mm-hmm. to the earth. They listened to each other, family, nature, earth. And they found this harvest of of um, exuberant uh. uh uh ecstasy, quiet, whispering ecstasy. Again, that that small glimmering light singing in the dark. They found yeah. it in the soil. They found it around them. And um and and no one necessarily immediately cared about it. So it gave them time to kind of grow it and nurture it. And the flowering of all that, I just keep seeing this is such an incredible place. And that's where artists ought to be. There's a lot of bad art in resorts, you know? Yeah big cities, et cetera. Nothing wrong with that. But look at what's coming out of this uh, crucible.
1: Right. That's really incredible. You know, um, you talked about music and I I know that that influences you a lot. What does music, what role does music play in the work that you do?
0: Oh gosh. Um, I listen to music a lot. I dance with my wife who's a dancer
1: and she In your is... studio, right? Y'all share that studio space. In our studio, right, which is sort of split,
0: dancing and and making art. And I love that. Um, and our and our both of our boys are musicians, and so music is is always there. I, you know, for me, it's part of that digging down to find this glowing thing. It also not only not only can you see it, not only is there a vision of that, it also sings. It also sings that real thing inside us that matters so much sings, and it sings our song. A very special song. And it dances. Let me add that for Debbie, my wife. Um, so, and I, for me, it's like what Thoreau said. He said, most men leave lives of quiet desperation. And this may be a, apocryphal, because I don't know if he said this, but he also said, and go to the grave with the songs still in them, mm. never having sung that song. And so music, yeah, music is just a metaphor that says... Um, There's a world within this world. And yes, you can dance to it. And yes, it will fill your eyes with astonishment and make life wonder again.
1: Mm, I love that. That's wonderful. And you said your wife, Debbie, is a dancer, right? Yes. How long has she been? She taught. Did she teach at the university, right?
0: She did. She taught and directed, helped direct the um, student dance company. And um, when we met, it was like uh, dance and art going to do something together and um <laughs> just been sparks and and flames and and lightning ever since then
1: that's incredible well tell tell me about uh let's talk about the call that you got and i know that we've kind of gone over this before but i'd love you to talk about it again the call that you got that brought you to mississippi
0: oh that's interesting yeah um I was interviewing for jobs living in the mountains of North Carolina, my native state, and um, seems to me like it was a long time ago because I was in a phone booth at that time. (laughs) And I was talking to a great friend, Mike Dorsey, who is head of the art program here. And it was the only position I'd ever seen in all that I searched for that was simply a watercolor painter position. It didn't just ask for a painter or a drawer or art historian, it wanted a watercolor paint. I said, gee, this is fortuitous. But I had great interviews at other schools, Florida state, Notre Dame was interested. And I said, Mississippi, what Mississippi state, where is that? What is that? But every time I talked on the phone to these folks, I said, we want you, you are exactly who we want here. This is exactly what we want. And everything else was a little bit, you know, ephemeral, not certain. And, um, I I just eventually I could not say no. I mean, so many things in life come that way. You just can't say yeah. no they are they are looking you right in the eye and and I had to say yes.
1: Absolutely. I think that's that's wonderfully said. So you you at that point you've spent now how many years you spent how many years teaching? 38 is that what you said?
0: Uh, so all, altogether maybe 30 39 maybe 40 wow. maybe 40 at different institutions Yep,
1: amazing mm-hmm. do you know exactly the number of students that you taught <laughs> no. one i taught one student.
0: <laughs> the name changes but it's all the same one one at a time yeah
1: that's that's great well if you're just tuning in this is the mississippi arts hour here on mpb think think radio I'm your host, David Lewis. I'm executive director of the Mississippi Arts Commission, and I'm interviewing Brent Funderburk, who is a former professor of watercolor and all the other arts at uh, Mississippi State.
0: This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app.
1: Chalkboard Chat. It's an MPB education podcast. It's a variety show providing information and resources for teachers, students, parents, guardians, and everyday people on various topics. It's learning something new with every publication. Chalkboard Chat. Find the podcast or listen from chalkboardchat.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm your host, David Lewis, Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission, here with Brent Funderberg, who will be receiving a Governor's Arts Award here in February. Brent, thanks again for being with us. We just talked about a lot of your inspiration growing up, the type of work that you do. We even mentioned a little bit about your wife and what she does. But you have two sons, right? And they have their own uh, artistic careers. You want to talk a little bit about about them and, and, and them finding their form of art.
0: I, you know, I'd love to, um, nothing better than to put your head on your pillow and know your, your two children. Our boys are, are in good shape. And one is touring and playing music today. And the other is trying to save all the plants that he loves in Texas as a, as a horticulturist. Um, That's amazing. They're going to get a freeze down to about 10 degrees like we will. But, um, you know, I would say this, if, If we had a storm this morning, even a tornado, and we couldn't find my younger son, Jackson, he would be out lying in the gutter on his back (laughs) as a kid, just taking it in, swimming in it. You know, he was always been the nature boy. And Wyatt would be, Wyatt would be inside as he was as a little boy, strumming on the heat vents as a baby and hearing the music that the vent made before he even had an instrument. So we always knew Jackson's outside and Wyatt is making music and that's,
1: that's how it amazing. works. You know, it's my funny tie to a horticulture is that once I was getting connected with someone and, uh, professionally and, and she was introducing me to this group that I was becoming a part of. And, uh, in, it was like a Facebook group or something. And they said, you know, welcome David Lewis. He's a horticulturist, <laughs> And I said, what? I said, "Wait, where did you get that?" She said, "You said you were in horticulture." I said, "No, I'm in architecture."
0: Oh God, you guys heard me on the Zoom. I'm, that's so funny. i This is not funny. I mean, I was at a funeral of one of my best friends, and the preacher, who had not known the guy very well, said he was an artist, and he wasn't. You know, <laughs> hey, he is now, maybe. You know, you, know,
1: you know, now he's a now he's yeah. a, a yeah. an artist, and now I'm a hortic- horticulturist.
0: Right. But there's a song that Wyatt just has out now that is called You'll Know When You Fall Mm. In Love. And, you know, it was like, what are these guys going to be? And they were into so many different things and their parents were so obnoxiously <laughs> extroverted. So they kind of hid for a while, but they couldn't hide. <laughs> and so here, here's something, Jackson, as a kid, we'd go outside all the time. And right here in Mississippi on the Black Prairie, Jackson would find a 66 million year old dinosaur tooth or a reptile, a swimming reptile from, from the Cretaceous period. And, and it was right near our house. So he said, he was lying in bed. I said, what are you thinking about, Jackson? And he said, Dad, you know, that that tooth from that animal was waiting for me for 66 million years
1: what
0: that's how my kids think you know that's incredible and so um you, you know not far from the tree but you know what pretty pretty dang far <laughs> from anything you could ever imagine so um they're they're incredible guys and um
1: that's amazing. Well, I'd love to also talk about kind of the other generation of people impacted by your work, and, and some of the student that the, that the students that you've taught, but also your approach to teaching. Can you talk a bit about that experience and and what you brought to the classroom? Uh, you know, when um, you know when you have a new group of students coming in, and they're like, you know, all excited and giddy and whatnot. What what are, what are some of the things that you tried to bring into the classroom?
0: I think it's important that um, that in the classroom, you have things to teach, but you the most important thing to teach is to ask that question, who are you, and to be able to have time face-to-face, one-on-one with each student, and to allow them the opportunity to start exploring that question themselves. And so, and then you find out that as they gather together it starts to add up into various answers to that question that's why we have a class it's not just a workshop over the weekend it's four years or so and so by that time you're still i love teaching the very first students i love teaching at eight o'clock because they have all night to park (laughs) But, but i would teach the very first students i like to teach the very last students who are heading out after that because they they are the ones who ask that question the very most. Who yes. else? And, you know, so the processes, techniques, materials, et cetera, they go through and outcomes are going to be different. But what they find out is that synergetic gathering of all of the students together, again, asking that question over and over again. And they ask it through the great artists who we're able to look at and study. And they come up with a multifold and uh, ancient newest answer to that question Mm. and then they're ready to graduate get out of here
1: (laughs) well you know that it's amazing because there there's several um dear friends of mine who have been pretty significantly impacted i'd say um of course adam tress and he talks about that and 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 gave a great uh a note that that those who do attend or watch the awards will be able to hear i'll give a little bit of it now but i know that he Ah, uh, uh, basically did an about face on on the career that he was taking, starting in architecture for three years, and then pivoting because you know he had a conversation with you that I think uh, answered a question, like you said, w- that he was asking himself, and and sort of assured what he was really questioning, and and became a full time visual artist that is doing incredible work and it's amazing he just comes to me with all these new ideas of things that he's got going and the next thing i know they're realities and and it's amazing but another person is alexis mcgrigg who uh, who attributes you as one of her her greatest mentors and and I got to uh, know Alexis working with the city of Jackson. I interviewed her for the Arts Hour uh, a few months ago, and now she is you know the, the the state fellow for the Southern Prize for South Art. She is showing all across the world, um, and then another person that came to mind when I was looking through the photos that that had been shared for this piece. Uh, was Christina McField, who uh, worked at um, the Museum of Art and is up in Chicago getting her master's now. Um, Another incredible artist who I think understands how to activate community and to really uh, inspire not just her own work, but everyone around her to be a part of what she's doing, which I think is so incredible. But what is it like for you to engage with students and then and then see them kind of go and do that work?
0: I'm I'm so grateful. I mean, gratefulness is just abounding now. That's the fruit right now. I have mm. no idea where all these things that were planted, some of which I would never have expected. But, you know, I think of Adam Trest who bounded, broke my door down one day. <laughs> I, was busy. I didn't have time for it. He was so polite up to that point. You know, the <laughs> nice fellow. And he broke my door down asking the big question. And I said, Adam, I don't really have time for this. And he said, yes, you do. You do have time for this because we need to talk. Mm. A point at which these children become an authority on their own life and their own soul. Yeah, And they come through doors, windows, they bust through and there they are. And I'm not the only one, but we have a whole team of great faculty um, you know, in, at Mississippi State and across the this, this state. And we're ready for that. We, we can't assign that. That's the unassigned thing. I can't assign revolution, but that's what we're waiting for.
1: I think that's a great point. And, and one of the things I know that I'm biased and people are going get, to get me for this, but I'm a state grad and a JSU grad. So go Bulldogs and go Tigers. One of the things that I've really noticed about students that come out of the art department from Mississippi State is their incredible ability to be able to engage with and tap into uh, the work, like into work and into whether it's their own careers because they they have a really sharp skill set of what it means to be able to sort of become a full-time artist or they also understand how to very well balance trying to get their full-time art career off the ground while also working within a context that has some sort of familiarity. I mean, I was working with with Alexis at the City of Jackson in cultural services, but she was also pursuing that so that there was an opportunity for her to be able to take those steps when that moment came. I've seen that across the board from, from anybody who comes from the CAD department. I know I'm giving basically a big plug for Mississippi State. But I really do believe that very deeply. It's what I saw when I came out of the School of Architecture. It, it equipped me so well with uh, the power of creative problem-solving. And I think that's what um, the arts, when it's integrated into education, really does, is really tap into creative problem-solving. And, and and that's just a remarkable thing. What have been some of your experiences with working with this with this college but also the faculty that you've talked about, you know, over the course of your career?
0: Oh my, I I just think you said a word David community and I think mm. rather than than focusing on commodity, you know, which is sort of the job search and and a world where where the earth itself is a commodity and all the things of the earth are commodity. Uh, Aldo Leopold talked about the earth as a community, and that's how we should approach nature. That's how we should approach each other. And it's finding a way that we can give a hand up because people did it for us. I think of my mentors, Edward Reap and my teacher, Janice Graham Smith, and um, uh, Kathy Albers, my gallery director, and friends and colleagues that were horizontally working alongside. And it's all about community. If we can see that together, and then, then your individual voice does not just become an isolated little flute note, but a part of a, a symphony. So I think there's an emphasis on that at Mississippi State, a sense of community building all the time in every little thing you do. Even if you're, again, digging down all alone in your work, you know there's a point where it comes to the air, comes to light, and others are going to need that exact color, that exact blossoming to make a garden.
1: Absolutely. Thinking kind of back on your time and some kind of highlights. I know that Mississippi State always has a really excellent lecture series that they usually bring people in. What are some of your favorite moments of where they've brought in somebody where you have? I know there have been so many times where you yourself have presented lectures and students have been you know captivated. But as a as a teacher and as as a, as an educator, what are some moments when you've just been all encompassed into that space?
0: Yeah, I think it's important that community is bringing in all of these people. Again, I said, you know, they you're standing on shoulders of great people your parents and all that got you to where you are, but you're also, these people are coming in. why should they be interested in me and put their hand out to me? Because again, somebody did that for him. You're part of this uh, liaison, this legacy. And uh, I think of one, you know, Reinhold Markshausen was an incredible sound sculptor and he came in and he did a workshop and we had no idea what to expect, but... He sort of said, "What do you all have?" It was almost like the loaves and the fishes. And he's people said, "Well, look, here's some lint or something." And he said, "Well, let's make let's make some things out of the lint." He did a whole workshop on making mm-hmm. art, beautiful things, things that were people were astonished by out of almost nothing. Wow. So, I, I think that's the real key: is the real masters are those who take almost nothing or something that everybody else really threw away, or, or saw as, as not not valued. And they made something incredible about it. Pop Staples talks about getting a guitar when he's 12 years old. And people's are saying, you ain't going to do this. You can't do this. And he kept playing. He kept playing. And finally, uh, late in his life, I mean, he was practically the retirement age before he started winning everything, Oscars and Mississippi Governor's Arts Awards and so forth. So it's you hold on to that knowledge that, uh, that almost nothing is something and put a capital S on that, and let it glow, baby, make a song out of that thing, and you'll get help, that's what these people come in to say, if I can help, you know, some days I say, I I just want people to leave me alone, so I can paint, but there are more still that say, hey, come talk to us, and tell us about uh, this story, and I'm, I'm honored, and grateful to
1: do so. Well, I think you just said something really great that's a great transition here is making a song. Well, if you're listening, we, this is the Mississippi Arts Hour, and you're listening to uh, myself, David Lewis, interviewing Brent Funderburk. Brent will be uh, receiving the Governor's Arts Award in February. But as we mentioned at the beginning of this segment, his son Wyatt is a songwriter and performer who has made a song that will be uh featured here in our next break, Brent, do you want to tell us a little bit about the song, and then we can go to the song from there,
0: yeah, I think that's that question about who am I again when the name of the song is "When you fall in love?" you'll know you'll mm-hmm. know um i I have a ukulele it's it's horribly out of tune, and it sounds like this. Okay, I'm going to leave you with that, <laughs> I'm not going to strum it necessarily. And I tell students, you know, when you're trying to get something in tune and trying to make a song, um, you're trying to, and in some way, just get rid of the ugly, get rid mm-hmm. of the bad sound, the discord, and find harmony. And so if that's your goal, you might come up with something that is not ugly. But then you find something that is miles above and beyond and deeper than that, that is actually something new called, it is beautiful. And it's a big difference. So maybe that's what school is. You learn how to get out the not ugly, but you hear in your ear, your inner ear, this, this music. And I think that's what, when you fall in love, oh, you'll know. Hmm. And you tune yourself finally, 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 whether it's looking at color, whether it's uh, um, uh, working with, with tools and clay, you'll hear the song in the clay. You'll see the song in light. You'll hear it in your dreams. I remember dreaming that I heard music on a beach. No one else heard it. I kept telling them in the one of those dreams, hey, everybody hear this? No, they can't hear this. So finally, I was watching TV and closed captioning came on. And every time a waterfall went by or every every time there was a, a sound from nature, the, the closed caption said music, mm-hmm. telling us that we were listening to music. I said, that's it. That's what it is. It comes yeah. just from what you're given. And so when you tune that ukulele to a chord and you start to hear a song coming, it's not just not ugly. You'll know when it's music. This is Larry Morrissey. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. The show is broadcast on MPB's statewide radio network on Sundays at 5 p.m. For access to all our past shows, please subscribe to the Arts Hour on your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio
1: podcast. Welcome back to the Arts Hour here on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, David Lewis, Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm here with Brent Thunderberg, former professor of watercolor and visual arts at Mississippi State University. Brent will be receiving the Governor's Arts Award on February 8th. 2024 at 6 p.m. at the two mississippi museums the award will be for excellence in visual arts and education we hope to see you there if you can't make it tune into mpb on tv and on the arts hour to hear the ceremony uh after it is uh after we have it in on on february later in the month uh well brent thanks for being with us of course and, and welcome back after that break um and sharing that song with us I wanna kind of go into some of your inspiration because before you came to Mississippi, there was a Mississippi artist that really caught your eye, uh, Walter Anderson on the coast. Can you talk about what it was about his work that really caught your eye and what really drew you to his work and to Mississippi because of that connection?
0: Yeah, interestingly, I was in a studio in the mountains of Carolina in the early eighties, and I saw an article in a magazine after my wife had seen a program on tv the islander about walter anderson we were in nebraska before that when she saw and she said you won't believe this guy he really makes me think of you said my wife and i never saw it because you couldn't there wasn't video and it didn't repeat and so i found this magazine you couldn't find much but there were images by anderson and they were on my studio wall the year before i knew i was going to be get taking a job in mississippi And it just became, it was just so resonant with, with all that I see and believe in, in, in my, in my work. Uh, And I said, well, I don't know if I'll ever find out more about this, but dot, dot, dot,
1: dot, dot, dot. So Mm -hmm. you get the call to come to Mississippi Mm -hmm. and you are like, I got to find out. That's what you had told me. You you got, I got to know. So talk to me about your first visit to go down there and your first interactions with his world and, and the, the places where he created this work.
0: Oh, gosh, it's uh, this will be for the next show, I guess, the next radio
1: show.
0: <laughs> okay, so I walk into my office after telling students, some of my first students at State, if you're from the Gulf Coast, find out something about Walter Anderson. Oh, he's crazy, said some. And I said, okay, well, <laughs> someone comes back. So I walk in my office the next Monday uh, and unlock my door, and there's a Walter Anderson sketchbook on my desk, a real one, yes, and so, and then I hear laughter, and there's a student behind the door who got into my office through a secretary, and wanted to see my face when he was able to get uh, a Walter Anderson sketchbook from Walter Anderson's grandson, Jason, borrowed it, it was all all planned, you know, in, in some yeah. strange realm, it was planned for me to do that, and that, and it was just, uh, just changed my life. I, mm. I guess I was invited down to to the Gulf coast and very soon met Walter Anderson's children, wonderful, incredible people. And, and his wife, uh, Agnes Grinstead Anderson, sissy, and, um, was able to go out very quickly, very soon to the Island with just Mary, his daughter and, and sissy. And um, I was going to be a great hero and do a lot of paintings, but I got sick with pneumonia trying to follow them. And instead, they they nurtured me in the Rangers <laughs> and told me all the stories. And I was kind of uh, indentured into the, the family at that point. And, <laughs> and it, has, it has been the same since that time.
1: You've been such a great, uh, I think, continued advocate for the exploration and understanding of his work. Uh, talk a little bit about, some of the lecture series that you've done, some of the sort of academic research that you've done about his work.
0: Right. Well, great. Um, of course, I've taught several classes in every decade I've been here about the work of Walter Anderson and took students to his world, to the barrier islands and such. And um, it was interesting, some of the most musical, most the, the song of Walter Anderson was in work that Mary, his daughter, had in a folder called Mystical Landscape. So um, William, uh, William Andrews, who is now the director of the Ogden Museum in New Orleans, and I mm-hmm. went down and saw this body of work. And finally, John Anderson said, uh, after Mary, yes, I guess it's time because they've been putting me off for years. We need to show this work, the mystical landscape. So we began to develop a story, the mystical landscapes of Walter Anderson, ecstasy. And about a week after we chose 17 pieces from that folder and brought them back to Mississippi State to frame, Katrina hit. And so many of those miracles, those works of art and just musical masterpieces by Walter Anderson were were destroyed or compromised by Katrina. And yet many were saved and they were in the show that I toured around the country in various museums and gave a talk about ecstasy, the mystical landscapes of Walter Anderson. Boy, I just felt like a conductor of Beethoven
1: by by going with that show. I'm sure. What, so when Katrina happened, what, what was your, you know, I know that you got down there pretty quickly. What was your react? Talk about this, the experience of that getting down there and doing what you can to try to preserve the work.
0: Right. Uh, William Andrews and myself and a number of faculty and others at Mississippi State came down to help triage the, the work, the objects, actually the whole Shearwater Complex most everything had been destroyed completely. Thank heavens, the museum mm-hmm. there in Ocean Springs uh, had not been, and they had moved the little cottage that had the the painting of right. the Psalm painting that was moved to the museum. And they they were not hurt, but the whole family area with the artwork and the pottery were were just about gone. Um, but um, believe it or not, so many things were saved. And as John remarked, a number of pieces were wet, but as they peeled pieces of watercolor on typing paper apart they now made two images there's the re-inflorescence the original original images john saw wet again for the first time since his father passed away they were wet from katrina and they made new paintings and it kind of doubled Mm. that and so that's a positive out of the negative but it also brought light to the fact that this is an incredible american legacy on the gulf coast And, um we've we've so many people uh, from all around have recognized that. And it was a real um, um, uh, moment of great heart for us to recognize that this is a treasure we have to save and share because that helps the artists help people answer that question, Who am I? What am I doing here on this earth? What is this deep harvest that community and culture should be? And Walter Anderson, exemplified that
1: what what i know you have a few things of his now what 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 types of things do you have of his now in your in your collection oh my
0: gosh well you know i'd say this uh, after the tour of the work john anderson gave me a pin quill a quill pinpoint wow. or pin, pin staff that was his father's and and hmm. a pencil you can see his bite marks on them, probably progressed <laughs> through a, a, a bog on, on an island with snakes chasing, you know, and you could see where he held it in his mouth, um, and I cried. I said, good grief, this is just like me being part of the family, but yeah. uh, never, nevertheless, um, Walter Anderson said one thing that I remember every day when I go into the studio or when I taught. He said, as an alternative to the destruction in this world, and he was talking about the annihilation that the atomic bomb might cause, there is another kind of explosion. It's a small explosion. And it's these prints that I've designed and these uh, uh, the pottery that I've helped design and all of these images that might be in a young person's room, a small explosion inside them mm-hmm. that essentially will transform them and change the world.
1: That's incredible. Like, I didn't expect that you to say that because I think when I had this very immediate reaction to that because I think of every single friend of mine's bedroom hallways growing up had those Anderson alphabet either in black and white or better yet in color if it was, you know, if, da, 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 da. and and that is something that is very core to I think Mississippi childhood in a lot of kids' minds, everyone has seen those pieces. And so it's very interesting that he said that and the reality of what came because of that, because that is very much a part of, I think a generation of Mississippians who grew up with that sort of spark with his work kind of very viscerally and accessibly in their lives. That's pretty powerful.
0: It is powerful. And it's a revolution that has succeeded
1: way beyond
0: years of our short lives and and Anderson's life. But uh, you see, you go down to the Gulf coast and it's a world unto its Mm. own your world and it's our world. That's That's what I have to say. You will find the song, the gift of the song
1: Mm -hmm.
0: is, is exemplified by the artists that have come before, but you'll find it. It's there. It's a gift. It's shining. It is yours. And as Anderson taught us, it is ours.
1: Hmm. That's excellent. Well, with that, Brent, thank you for being on the Arts Hour with me today. Um, if, If you're just tuning in, Uh, Brent is a former professor at Mississippi State University in watercolor and visual arts. He will be receiving the Governor's Arts Award for Excellence in Visual Arts and Education on February eighth, twenty 2024 at the two Mississippi museums at 6 p.m. If you're able to join us, we'd love to have you there. The event is free to the public. We have very limited seating, first come, first serve. Uh, We'd love to see you there. If you can't make it, you can hear the program aired on MPB during the Arts Hour. Uh, later in the month, and then on television on MPB uh, later in the month as well. Uh, Brent, as always, thank you so much. I have one quick short question for you here at the end. If you had 24 hours with Walter Anderson, what would you do with him? Not what would you ask him? What experience would you want to have with him?
0: Uh, We don't have to talk. I just think we walk out Mm -hmm. with with paper and crayons or whatever was, was there. And, and then we see what happens. We just walk out and see what happens.
1: That's great.
0: Maybe never come back. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org.
1: I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, host of the original Southern Remedy, the show where I answer your medical questions. Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app.